Welcome to Corner of Hunter and George, Peterborough's Art and Cultural Podcast. This is episode 33. On this episode, we will talk to the last of the holy trinity of Peterborough's great multidisciplinary artists. Yes, I've done it. I've had, recently had on Sarah McNeely, I had on Kate Story, and now Ryan Kerr. All are present with recent or upcoming shows at Theatre on King. They are all aligned with Theatre on King. One of Peterborough's greatest artistic gems of all time. Ryan has an upcoming show, which he's done it before in the past, it's quite suitable for Remembrance Day, is titled Unexploded Ordinance. We'll mainly discuss this play on the interview. And I apologize beforehand how I kind of botched up the title at the beginning of the interview, as you'll see. But we also discuss Ryan's other facets, being a director, playwright, actor, dancer, and expert in lighting. Unexploded Ordinance is playing between November 9th to 12th, so I got this one out just in time. And to say a little bit more about it, Uh, History comes alive with this action-packed glimpse into the carnage, politics, and art of the period as Kerr weaves together his account of the war with numerous stories, those of his own great-grandfather, a medic in the war, his high school history lessons, his youth as a punk outsider, even the formation of the underground Dada art movement. It all comes together in a moving, funny, thought-provoking show that examines the impact of trauma and the struggle to heal. I could have gone a lot further into aspects of that during this interview, but I've tried to cover some of those things you just heard and what you're about to hear. So, here is my interview with Ryan Kerr. Yeah, with, with you, there's probably uh, a million things to <laughs> go on, but <laughs> sure, imagine. <laughs> but I was going to focus on that. Okay. So. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, forgive me if I'm not getting some things that should be obvious to other people, because I, oh, haven't, I haven't lived in Peterborough that long, That's uh, just a couple of years, so my, my wife's been here a lot longer, but, um, so this is, but what I'm getting, this is not the first time you've done Unexplained Ordinance, so. Unexploded. Uh, unexploded, sorry, Unexploded Ordinance. That's correct. So what, what it's, what's brought you to do it again? Besides it, you know, obviously Remembrance Day, but yeah. Well, we did it in 2018 and 2019, mm-hmm. and it was designed um, sort of to be a touring show that could go to high schools and stuff. Yep. And so we actually did go to a couple of different high schools. We went to Lakefield College, and we went to Kenner, and I think Adam Scott, mm-hmm. maybe Thomas A. Stewart. Um, so, um, and again, it's a, a Remembrance Day thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more than that. It's much more than a Remembrance Day show. Because um, one of the things I really didn't like about growing up was going to Remembrance Day shows and seeing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do is create something that was completely different, which I think we have, mm. which is great. 
And then the pandemic hit in 2020. And one of the things we, we have a, a newsletter subscription mm-hmm. um, on the email. Oh, okay. And so uh, I, we sent out uh, uh, a questionnaire saying, so when we reopen, mm-hmm. if we reopen, mm-hmm. which we have, um, what, sh- what shows that we've already done would you like to see again? Mm-hmm. And my show was the audience favorite. So because they've chosen it to go on again, um, we've decided to do it again. Right. So that's what we're doing. Um, but because we're not touring it this time, um, we can have a lot more tech. Mm-hmm. So the lighting is going to be better. We have this fantastic new projection uh, program. Mm-hmm. And the projections that we used to have just in the corner off to the side are now encompassing the entire set. And it's very complicated and it's really cool. Okay. And yeah, isn't, uh, I, I think it's mainly the same, but is, what, am I fair to say the music is maybe slightly different? Like, I don't think you had Bennett Padukey in the last no, time. No, last time it. we had um, Matt Greco, mm-hmm. um, but he's moved to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to having him drive back and forth, Mm-hmm. And not knowing what the weather's going to be like on any given day, it was like, we should probably just sub him out with someone new. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with Bennett a few times now, and he's fitting in really well. And so the music is uh, basically the same, but it's got a different flavor to it now. Okay. Yes. No, I know I can see him adding certainly something different. I, I don't really know much about Matt Greco's music but uh, mm-hmm. yeah but, uh, but you know if you know Bennett then you yes. know he's a bit eclectic yes yes no, there there aren't many limits to his drumming I don't and think. it fits in with the show really well yeah. because the yeah. show is very the music in the show is rather eclectic so mm-hmm. and so the, like the original idea of setting it in World War One instead of like uh, perhaps World War Two or some other setting um like such a tragic historical event. Am I correct in saying like one of the m- ideas, not the only one, one of the main ideas was the experience of your great-grandfather? That was part of it. But I've mm-hmm. also been fascinated by the Great War since I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Just because um, it's hard to... it's I'm, I'm Even now, the more you research it, the more unfathomable it becomes to just comprehend what actually happened mm-hmm. and how they could let that happen for four years. Um, like 37, 37 million people were either killed or wounded in that war. And that's, mm-hmm. that's I, I, how do you even comprehend a million, let alone 37 million, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then seeing the, seeing the photographs and seeing some of the, uh, 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 the, the film that was taken at, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the war artists, all the, like the group, group of seven came out of that yeah, a lot of them were actually in the trenches painting, mm-hmm. and then they came back here and went, mm, "Well, let's not paint things that yeah. are so depressing." <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and my great grandfather was in the great in 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 the in the First World War as a, as a as a medic, and he won some medals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly, it's my own um, fascination with the Great War, um, and also the Canadians' part that uh, specifically that they played in the Great War because they weren't expected to do anything except um, fill in for British troops. Mm-hmm. And they actually proved that we're actually much better than you in, in a lot of different things. And because we're not soldiers, we're bringing new ideas. 
Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those new ideas were actually picked up by the military and are still applied down. Right. Yeah, no, I have a great-grandfather as well who was in that uh, war. He was like 14 when he went. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, PTSD wasn't recognized back no. then. But he obviously had it because... Um, he lived for a number of years after that. He became a heavy drinker. He cut off one part of his arm with an axe and mm-hmm. things like that. He had a bunch of psychological traumas. And yeah. I don't know how anyone survived, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. I honestly don't know how anyone survived. If you were mm-hmm. in the front lines for even 10 minutes, I don't know how you would even uh, reintegrate into society in any way, shape, or form. Because unless right. you were there, you can't even describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, yeah. Now, is uh, some of this also sort of like you just have a general love for history yourself? Like that's I what also, you took yes. at Trent, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I came to Trent to to, to study history mm-hmm. and got involved in the theater and stayed involved with the theater because I know that if I ever wanted to go back to university, the university's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I'm seventy years old and I want to go back to university, it's still going to be there, but I can't necessarily always do theater. Mm-hmm. So. I came for I came for the I came for school but stayed and for the arts. Right, right. And um, is there something like say when you were in high school, or whatever, that you found really kind of your bit saying about how the Remembrance Day kept kept being the same over and over, but something in general about history you found unsatisfying the way it was kind of taught. World well, it was War always one, it was always the same things. history. It was always the same thing. It was mm-hmm. like we we learned about Billy Bishop, and, mm-hmm. and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned about John McRae, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more to it than that. The Great War, like, the more you start investigating it, the more you keep finding, the more stories you keep um, uncovering. I mean, it really is quite a fascinating um, period of history. And I also realized that um, as you, the more you study that era, the more you realize how that era helped set up the entire 20th century and where we are today, mm-hmm. you know, all the all the maps were changed at the end of the war, um, which led to all the conflicts that you know that, that we're having now. Like the, all the all of the borders in the Middle East were created in the First World War, and they were random. <laughs> mm-hmm. They weren't. They weren't. You know, the people weren't. I don't know. Um, asked about whether they wanted this. They just no. said, "This is where you are now, and now you're in Iraq." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we used to be in Syria. Well, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that, a lot of what we're dealing with right now, started in the First World War. Um, also, things like propaganda, um, really hardcore advertising, mm-hmm. um, uh, all of that sort of stuff really started happening there. And also, the First World War was the first war that was mechanized. Mm-hmm. Right? So suddenly, instead of just being horses and men, it was now horses, men, and machines. And the machines were much more efficient. Mm-hmm. And that led to the Second World War, which led to everything that we're doing now, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe kind of, in a way, set a model for what the Americans have done in their time Absolutely. after. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, the America was nobody at that time. No, not really. Right? And they came, kind of came in and said, they saved the day. It's like, well, no, you didn't actually save the day. No. You, you came in and the war ended before you could save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, that's where America became a leader in the world mm-hmm. um, because of Woodrow Wilson and his, you know, all the, the, the treaty and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, but also, you know, it also meant it, uh, be, because of what the Canadians had done in the First World War, it actually gave um, it, it, it sort of um, created an, a, a national idea of what Canadians were mm-hmm. and how they were looked at and how they acted and all of that sort of stuff. And that still is kind of apparent to this day. Right. Like I visit when I went when mm. I visited Belgium. Um, talking to some of the people that lived there who have who had uh, grandparents that were in the first world war as soon as they find out you're a canadian everything changes mm. everything changes mm-hmm. suddenly you're more much more welcome they open up to you they talk about their experiences and their grandparents experiences especially if you're actually engaged in the conversation mm-hmm. it's fascinating it's super fascinating yeah yeah, and I guess we should say it's such kind of a, an English Canadian kind of thing, but Quebec sort of viewed it a bit differently. But uh, yep. yeah, Quebec yeah. viewed it differently, and so did the Newfoundlanders. Yeah, yes. Um, who? Yeah, they weren't even part of Canada then. But um, that's right. Um, like, do you think it was just in general? World War One is just kind of like this, like uh, terrible horror that. Perhaps the greatest depth, lowest depth humanity's ever reached to, or is there some greater meaning from it? You know, and it's not really much to teach us, maybe about like Franz Ferdinand, or that all the monarchies were kind of tied together, or something. Well, like I mean, that. I think it's it is it, it was the end of the 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 old era, mm-hmm. like it really was. It was the end of Victorian of the Victorian era, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Because um, after that. Um, Things opened up, right? Women mm-hmm. could start wearing skirts that were shorter, uh, or pants if they wanted. Um, class barriers were broken down because everyone in the trenches were the same, right? Like mm-hmm. accountants and lawyers were fighting in the same brigade, mm-hmm. and so before they might not have ever experienced each other or even known what an accountant would have felt like, or and also uh, like people from Winnipeg and. People from Calgary were fighting in the same battalion, mm-hmm. um, and so it sort of created this identity, um, this sense of, 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 of inclusiveness that I don't think existed before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was an absolute atrocity that it happened at all because it didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. Like there was no reason for it to actually happen. They could have called all of it off before anything actually happened, but. Um, again, because of the way the politics works and because of the interconnectedness of everyone and mm-hmm. all of the, the monarchies and everything, um, they just let it all happen and never stopped letting it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it also was a way to... Um, a lot of uh, 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 the generals were looking at the war in an old style. They mm. were still exper- They were still assuming that horses, you know, this brilliant cavalry charge was going to win the war um, and it, it wasn't it was never going to win the war mm-hmm. you know um, but also I mean that's when things like tanks got involved machine guns um, flamethrowers mm-hmm. um, all of that stuff was all created in the first world war to try to be like these are the weapons that are going to win the war and they never actually did because mm-hmm. <sighs> People are resilient, and people will, especially if you're fighting for your freedom or for your country, you're going to fight a little harder than um, an invading force who has nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. 
you know and you know you're looking at ukraine right now for example it's you know the russians have really nothing to lose because they're the invading force whereas the ukrainians have everything to lose they're gonna they're gonna lose their country they're gonna lose their freedoms they're gonna lose everything so of course they're gonna fight harder they're gonna fight more smartly um uh, more efficiently mm-hmm. because once someone's gone you can't replace them right the Russians have lots and lots and lots of recruits they have mm-hmm. lots of people to replace them and that was the same in the first world war um, I mean everyone started off with these very small armies and then they slowly grew into these million man armies or more and even that didn't help change anything mm-hmm. and even at the very end the war didn't actually end I mean, it ended, yes, but no one was a winner, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think, again, that, that's part of the problem is why do we need to do all of this? <laughs> do you know? Like, the, mm-hmm. they did, the First World War didn't have to happen. No. It really didn't have to happen. It was just because of, of pride and spite and nationalistic tendencies um, and, and racism. Right. Yeah, and from a, I've always viewed the World War One from a Canadian psyche kind of point of view. Like back then, you still had a lot of people like living on the same property they grew up or close by, not really ever leaving their town too That's often. Right. And so, I think a lot of them like it was like kind of exciting opportunity sort of it was thing. Very exciting. To. And yeah, and this is nationalism you're saying and things like that. And again, yeah. you were only spoke the war is going to end any yeah. day, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to get over there and mm-hmm. get get a part of it before it ends. Right. And then it doesn't end. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think it actually has ended. I mean, yes, they called an armistice and everyone went home, but I think the, 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 the issues that surrounded that whole war are still happening right now. Mm-hmm. Now, one, uh, now the, the show goes through different time elements, but one uh, you're doing is a data art movement, yes. which, which I, guess, I guess most of those artists would have come out of World War I. There's more in the 1920s. But, uh, well, the original Dadaists um, um, came, they were artists <coughs> from all over Europe, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to be in the war. Mm-hmm. They really didn't want to be in the war. I mean, there were, um, I've read a lot of stories about um, artists living in Paris, because mm-hmm. a lot of the artists in Paris were actually conscripted and were forced to go fight. And so they would actually go to the front lines, and then on their, you know, when they had leave, they would come back to Paris and tell all their friends about what was going on. So some people actually knew what the situation was. Most people did not know what the situation was and didn't want to know what the situation was because it would have been too much. But a lot of these artists from all over Europe, like Romania, Germany, France, Belgium, Italy, everywhere, they all went to Switzerland mm-hmm. because it was neutral. And, of course, the biggest city is, you know, you, you, they went to Zurich. And two people, um, uh, Hugo Ball and Emmy Hennings, they, he was a pianist and she was a cabaret performer. They convinced one of the bars um, in Zurich to allow them to perform. And this was in 1916. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So this was right in the middle mm-hmm. of the war. Mm-hmm. And because um, they didn't really know what they were doing, and mm-hmm. they didn't know what, they were, what it was going to look like or how mm-hmm. it was going to work, but 
um, basically for six months they did a show every night mm-hmm. and they didn't know what the show was going to be every night mm-hmm. because some days there would be 12 Russian balalaika players and um, two poets and a visual artist and um, maybe three dancers none of them spoke the same languages but we're going to put them on the stage at the same time and it's gonna, something's going to happen and so, again, that was really exciting. All of these artists from all of these different countries started working together and combining all these different mediums, you know, like topography and, and film and dance and cabaret performance and poetry. And, um, again, they start also started to play around with the idea that um, because propaganda was a really big thing that started in the First World War mm-hmm. as a... Um, so they all knew that everyone was being lied to, mm-hmm. right? Just like we know now. We know mm-hmm. when we watch Fox News, we're being lied to. We watch commercials, we're being lied to. Mm-hmm. We all know that. And so because they were being lied to and because they were being lied to in words, then what is the meaning of words? And can we deconstruct the words so that it doesn't mean anything and yet it means something? And so that's where sound poetry came out of. Um, taking images and cutting them all up and putting them back together, that idea of collage, mm-hmm. that came out of data. Yeah. Um, the idea of, of having um, text and images in the same um, um, block of, 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 of art, again, that was them. Because, um, again, everything was permitted. Mm-hmm. Do what, Nothing is wrong here because if the world is absurd, then let's acknowledge and... Ad- and, 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 and embrace the absurdity. Mm-hmm. So that's what they kind of did during that little period of time. Um, and the Data Cabaret, by the way, was right down the street from where uh, Karl Marx lived. Right in Brussels, that would be, right? Th- this was in Zurich. In Zurich? Okay. He lived a few spots. He lived in a few spots. Yeah, but but yeah, okay. He went from Zurich mm-hmm. through Germany to Russia mm-hmm. when uh, the Bolshevik Revolution happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, all of these artists were doing all these kind of different things and um, they were creating lots of newsletters and pamphlets and sending them out to artists all over the place. There was a whole group of people in, in New York that didn't really necessarily have anything to do with the Dadaists originally, but because they were artists and exchanging information, um, New York became a real hub for... Um, uh, uh, Experimental photography and uh, uh, photo, uh, film, and uh, poetry and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. some of the artists would actually travel. Like after the war, they would travel back and forth across the Atlantic and exchange their ideas. But um, when the war ended, the Dadaists kind of went back to their home countries. Mm-hmm. But they took the ideas that they had created. They took the the the, the spirit of Dada back with them. And so the people in, in Paris ended up becoming the Surrealists. And right. then in Berlin, it became much more political and philosophical um, because, again, the war was over and Germany had lost. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at things from the sense of loss, mm-hmm. whereas Paris were kind of looking at it from a sense of victory. Mm-hmm. So two very different... Their styles are still the same, but their subject matter is very different. 
And then in Paris, in Da, uh, New York, the it still stayed the same. Um, and then it kind of died out by the mid twenties. Right, right. So because I, it became, it moved into other things. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they, they had not, they weren't rebelling against the war anymore because the war was over. Right. So what are we actually rebelling against at this point? And I ask the same question now. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I guess that that, that that teaches me something because I always thought it was more of a, like a reaction against the war, but it was more of a reaction to, like in a way, just because it was happening. Well, it was a reaction time. against the war, and also, like you say, yeah, a right. reaction it's to. It's happening the war. right at the time. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and I don't think any of them actually just knew that they were creating a movement. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them were trying to look forward a hundred years and think, "I really want to be remembered for what I'm doing." Mm-hmm. I think that was just really important to create something in a world that's being destroyed. Right. And also, it's kind of like multi, multidisciplinary kind of approach they had. I can see you being, uh, that kind of really inspiring you, because that's kind of been your approach, really, like acting, directing, dancing. Exactly. Your, your, your expertise of lighting. Yeah, yeah. So Well, also, that's one of the reasons yeah. I stayed here in Peterborough, because we have such a small town. I mean, mm-hmm. when I stayed here in the 90s... Um, Everyone was doing like everyone did everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you did a, you did some acting, you did some writing, you did some directing, you did some tech work, you did some dancing. Occasionally, someone might ask you to sing or do some music, but it felt very multimedia in that sense, and and fluid in the sense that everyone could almost do almost any of those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have moved away from that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, most people do one or two things, mm-hmm. which is fine. Um, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with just being an actor or just being a director or just being a writer or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you have the capabilities and uh, the wherewithal to break out of your medium and find another medium, it really does help um, um, the, 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 the artistic practice. Um, being an, an actor mm-hmm. is one thing. Being a director and directing actors is another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, being a stage manager is another thing. If you've been all of those things, then as an actor on stage, you know what the director's going through. Mm-hmm. So you actually have an understanding of, oh, he's not. they're not just telling me to do this because they're being mean. <laughs> There's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the stage manager isn't getting on my ass about my lines because that's their job. It's because I actually need to learn my lines, right? Mm-hmm. Like you actually get a better understanding of what everyone's job in the theater is, mm-hmm. um, and also um, understanding what how uh, different practices work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a fine artist. I don't paint. Mm-hmm. However, working with fine artists. Um, doing the sets or incorporating paintings, mm-hmm. you get a really uh, 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 intimate understanding of of what their practice is. Mm-hmm. And when they work with you, they get an understanding of what your practice is. And hopefully, in the future, we you know as we work together, we can combine them and make it much more fluid and all of that sort of stuff. Right. So, yeah, so you've been here in Peterborough since, I believe, 1992. That's right. And about 400-plus shows, is that fair Oh, to say? at least, yeah. Yeah, at yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's like a multi-encyclopedia kind of level. <laughs> but, uh, um, so I guess 
besides what you're talking about, this multidisciplinary kind of approach, and like I guess it, you know, I guess everything can be a, everything new can be a different kind of challenge that you do. Mm-hmm. What what is sort of uh, kept you here because i know you've had to make sort of sacrifices i think at one time you were house painting for years oh oh, yes well that's it i mean when i i mean i I, uh so when i speak when i stayed here there was a small theater called the union theater Mm -hmm. and it was on hunter street yep and it was dirty and kind of gross and um but we could do anything we wanted there and it cost almost nothing Mm -hmm. which was great and again you could really hone your skills in a small space like that. Mm-hmm. There were um, a lot of university students involved, and so the energy of the, the youth kind of pushed things along, but also the experience of the older actors kind of kept it um, within reason. Mm-hmm. And so everyone, there was a, a nice exchange of old and young and old ideas and new ideas and how the space could be worked and... Um, um, the idea, uh, the, the difference between doing a traditional sort of proscenium theater versus doing a black box theater, that was very exciting. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it closed because of a bunch of different reasons. So if I wanted to stay in Peterborough, which I did at the time, mm-hmm. so me and my partner at the time, we ended up buying um, Marginal Distribution. Yep. Yeah. Which was here on the corner, uh, Hunter and uh, Hunter King and George here, mm-hmm. and it was the smallest uh, distribution house for really eclectic books in Canada. If you, it was like mm-hmm. the internet before the internet. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't find it, you could fa- call, call us, and we'll figure it out. And it was, we were too anarchist and too eco and too everything everything like if mm-hmm. no one else in Canada would touch it we would distribute it mm-hmm. within reason mm-hmm. and so I did that and managed to pay off my student loans which was oh, great so that's good yes yeah, that's good. Uh, but then um, the book industry over the course of that eight or nine years mm-hmm. really changed that was the emergence of chapters the emergence of indigo mm-hmm. the emergence of the big box stores and purposely opening up right across from the independent bookstore and forcing them out of business. Mm-hmm. So we actually watched the death of independent bookstores across Canada for the for eight years. Mm-hmm. And then it, we had, we just had enough. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we, this is enough. And the internet was on, so you could find a lot of the information online at that point. Mm-hmm. So people weren't necessarily buying the book instead of, you could just look it up. Mm-hmm. So, so I did that for a while. And then after that, I... Um, at the same time, I was also the technical director for Public Energy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever Public Energy had a show, I would be in charge of um, coordinating all the tech with the incoming um, production and the, the, the house uh, tech and making sure that everything that they needed was good and you know, load them in, load them out, do the tech, run the lights, do all mm-hmm. of that stuff. So while I was doing the bookstore, um, I was also doing that tech stuff. So when the, we closed the book distribution house, I continued working for Bill for a number of years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, he only does three or four shows a year, and you can't really make a living off of doing three or four shows a year. No. <clears throat> so again, I ended up becoming a house painter because I actually had, I was good at painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, just house painting, not like fine art or anything. And so I worked as a house painter from 2000, 
2003-ish mm-hmm. till about 2010-ish, on and off, just mm-hmm. doing things. Um, sometimes I would do, I'm, um, again, I would just, you know, do the occasional show for Public Energy. Uh, Market Hall would possibly call me in. I worked for the Guild a few times doing random shows as a tech person. Um, but I also realized that I also was missing out on performing. Um, and so um, I created my own company, Fleshy Thud, in mm-hmm. 2008-ish. And I did a sh- couple of shows at the Gordon Best. And I did one at Market Hall. And there used to be a space on Hunter Street called the Cannery Art Center. Mm-hmm. And so I did a sh- couple of shows there. But one of the things that ended up bothering me about being an independent artist was there was nowhere to rehearse. Like, there was nowhere. If you wanted to rent Market Hall or Showplace, which were the only two basic places that you could have that you could rent, mm-hmm. it, the price was ridiculous. You, mm-hmm. we, we, you couldn't possibly afford to do shows there, and you couldn't possibly afford to rent it. So as an independent artist, I started wondering, it's like, what we really need is one of those old spaces that we used to have that you could do anything in and it didn't really cost much and everyone worked together and just kind of created whatever they wanted and that's what we actually needed so um, after 2010 I started thinking I should probably just try and reopen a space we should reopen a space reopen a space and I looked around uh, downtown because it has to be walkable. Everything has to be walkable from downtown. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not. I don't. I don't want to have to drive to work. No, I it, walk everywhere, so it has to be downtown, and it has to be near the bars, and it has to be near the restaurants, mm-hmm. and all of that sort of stuff. And that's fine. And so I ended up talking to um, originally my landlord for the book distribution place was Erica Churdy. Right, yes. And she was a fantastic lady and mm-hmm. we spent many nights together talking and carousing which was great. Um, she was a fantastic lady and um, I ended up calling her and saying because I, I knew she owned buildings mm-hmm. so I ended up asking her if um, there was any space in any of her buildings downtown and she was like hmm no but um. Why don't you talk to Linda Cash? So mm-hmm. Linda Cash was running the Peterborough Academy of Performing Arts mm-hmm. just over here at 159 King Street. Yep. And um, unfortunately, um, her husband Paul had just passed away, mm-hmm. and she didn't know what she wanted to do with that space. Mm-hmm. Like, was it going to keep going? Um, did she want to keep it open? How was it going to look? Um, so we had a nice little conversation and she basically said you take it over as long as I can still use it for my classes mm-hmm. and for events that I want to do mm-hmm. and so I did and I took over the, it was like I think there was like a year and a half left on the lease there mm-hmm. so I was like alright well let's see I didn't expect to be open for more than a year mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest yeah. um, we had no equipment the space is half the size of this yeah. The ceiling was way lower, okay. and there was no daily practice of performing in this town anymore. Okay, yeah, so it's probably a realistic. And uh, also, yeah. 
there wasn't a practice of going to see things mm-hmm. because there had been it's been so long since there were any I mean there's always been shows here and there don't mm-hmm. get me wrong um, but instead of having I don't know 40 shows a year mm-hmm. which I started at we ended up having like five or six shows a year mm-hmm. and only those in the show those shows that went on the only reason they went on was because they got grants because mm-hmm. they couldn't afford Market Hall unless they mm-hmm. got a grant, or they couldn't afford Showplace unless they got a grant. Right. So um, I started thinking about how to do it, and so I ended up, yeah, getting in touch with Linda, got the space. We managed to make it for a year and a half. We renewed the lease again. And then uh, this space, which used to be custom copy, mm-hmm. um, the owner won a lottery. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, well, that's like good. she won a couple of million dollars yeah. or something, mm-hmm. and she's like, "And I'm done." Oh. Boom! Out of the space. Mm-hmm. So immediately, I came over and looked at it and was like, "Oh, this would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's bigger. It's it's on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just around a back alley. Um, the ceilings are higher. Everything about this whole space is better than what I have." Mm-hmm. So I talked to Cherney, and they were like, yeah, okay, if you want it, you can have it. Mm-hmm. So here we are, five years later. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's... in January, it'll be the end of 10 years. At the end of 10 years. Okay. That's, yeah, no, that's quite, that's quite impressive. Um, uh, so you say, like, um, is some ways, um, like you were mentioning, uh, your one experience with Fleshy Thud. Yes. Is, is is the philosophy you had for that somewhat similar to what you have here, where it's like, you know, uh, quote other people, I think Kate, story, Kate said this, like uh, a place where you're allowed to make mistakes and Absolutely. experiment. Is that sort of what you're... Well, yes. Yeah, so well, what, I mean, I, the Fleshy Thud was named after yeah. the sound of body makes... Where you can afford to fail. That's, I think, what Where you can afford to fail. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's exactly it. Yeah. And that's what this space is, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I will work with everybody, and um, again, we always have a pay what you can option at the door because art shouldn't mm-hmm. be elitist. And mm-hmm. I don't think just because you don't have thirty dollars to go see a show, you can't go see a show. Mm-hmm. You should still be; everyone should be allowed to come and see art because right. I think art's very important to everybody and society and the psyches of everybody. Um, Fleshy Thud was created just because I, I ended up getting a grant and I needed to make I needed somewhere for the money to go mm-hmm. um, but yeah that, that's just you know that was that's that was that's that was that's my production company mm-hmm. um, and so through Fleshy Thud um, uh, me and Kate story have created uh, a bunch of different festivals mm-hmm. so we did the a certain place festival back in like 2016 yep. And then we've done three different precarious festivals. Mm -hmm. And again, all of those festivals are about supporting artists, giving artists the opportunity that they can't necessarily, that they wouldn't necessarily have um, otherwise, because we're paying them. Mm -hmm. We're giving them the space. We're giving them all the tech. We're giving them all the support they need. We can do... And that's... If that had been, if someone had done that for me when I was a young artist, that would have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. But no one did that yeah. because no one was thinking about that. And also the idea of precarity and the arts. I mean, especially nowadays, 
um, in our current political climate, um, the arts are not on the top of anyone's list. No, no. And in fact, the arts are being cut from budgets here and there and all over the place. And the fact that we don't have an arts council here is surprising, considering a lot of people come here for the arts mm-hmm. and a lot of people stay here for the arts. Mm-hmm. But basically, you just have to do it yourself. Yes. Right? Like, there's no one... Up until this year, when EC3 finally gave out individual artists um, grants, mm-hmm. there was no granting body in this town for artists to apply to. Kingston has an arts council. Guelph has an arts council. Hmm. Toronto has an arts council. Yeah. Hamilton has an art. All sorts of cities have arts councils because they actually give a shit about their art mm-hmm. and their artists because they want the artists to stay. Mm-hmm. And if the artists can't make any money and they haven't got any support, then why would they stay somewhere? Right. Right? And I mean, that's the, one of the situations I've always had here is I could pack this theater up and open it anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wouldn't be any different, mm-hmm. really, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's still no support anywhere. And I don't see... Um, I mean, our last council didn't really help... Uh, um, promote the arts in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form, unfortunately. Although, I know some people did. Um, I also wish that, you know, some of uh, the city council and all the staffers would actually get out to the arts events. Right. So they could actually see what the venues are and talk to the artists and find out who they are and what they need and how it works. But they don't seem to really be interested. Yeah, a few exceptions, but I think, you'll few fi- exceptions. I think you'll find who is re- who is elected this time. You'll have the same sort of theme the next four years. My, my prediction there. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I have a little bit of optimism, but at the same yeah. time, we'll see. Yes. It's too early to tell yet. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, education for me. So yeah, not growing up in Peterborough, I don't really know too much about uh, Bernie Martin. Yes. Uh, so I yeah, you could maybe uh, well, educate I, me and what yeah where a certain place comes from. Sure. Um, so one of the things um, I can't even remember where it came from. It was 2015. I don't know where we. I think me and Kate had gone somewhere mm-hmm. in New York for a visit or something. Uh, but we started talking about um, um, the idea of supporting artists and the fact that artists didn't have any support in town. And, um, and um, there weren't any big festivals happening. Like there, Occasionally there was the Emergency Dance Festival, but mm-hmm. that only happened once a year. And it was mostly for dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up at the Garnet one night, and Benj Roland and... And his band were playing um, a bunch of Bernie Martin songs. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and that got us thinking, and it was like, the thing about Bernie Martin was, again, I didn't know him personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I never really sat and had a big chat with him about anything. Mm-hmm. But I do know he influenced an awful lot of different people in this town in a lot of different ways because... He was a songwriter. He was mm-hmm. a musician. He was a playwright. He was an mm-hmm. actor. He was a boat builder. He did all of these different things, which is exactly what I've been talking about. Right? Yeah. He was a man of multi-talents, some of which were better than others, mm-hmm. some of which were worse than others, just like you can't be good at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did influence an awful lot of people. And 
one of the CDs he put out a certain place mm-hmm. was on every turntable throughout Peterborough mm-hmm. in the 90s right and again one of the things that 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 CD did was bring in musicians and singers from mm-hmm. all over Peterborough and they're singing one person's music mm-hmm. and making and and, and 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 putting their own twist on it mm. which is also really exciting yeah you know? Um, which is kind of like theater. When you redo a show that's already been written, you're putting your own little twist on it, your own interpretation. Um, and because, um, like, when that CD came out, Ben probably would have been, like, I don't know, 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he would have been a kid. He would have been But at the same guy, time, yeah. he was inspired by the fact that Bernie... And he, Bernie also did all his own recording. Mm-hmm. So... You know, he was a producer as well mm-hmm. and a sound uh, editor. So, um, because Peterborough is like that, that's mm-hmm. the Peterborough I think of, mm-hmm. and that's the Peterborough Kate was thinking of. It was like, why don't we use? And it's also about a certain place, because mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's like, for example, the Zurich scene in mm-hmm. the First World War. Mm-hmm. That was a very certain place for a very certain period of time, and then it disappeared. Mm-hmm. And we had a really hunk. We had a really good, um, interesting um, um, art scene here in the in the early '90s, mid '90s. And then, because one venue closed, everything changed. Mm-hmm. You know, and he passed away, uh, unfortunately. But um, we ended up talking to his widow and the keeper of his archives. And we talked about, why don't we um, do a festival based on his work, but at the same time, let's have um, a bunch of panels talking about the precarity of um, the art scene and how hard it is to make art for some people, mm-hmm. how difficult it is to remain an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the politics of being art an artist in, in this town in Canada in general mm-hmm. um, and so um, we ended up putting on I think one two four or five of his shows during that festival mm-hmm. and we had a whole bunch of different panels um, we had some musicians come in and um, play some of his music but also talk about what it's like to be an artist how do you how as a musician do you create do you start with the song the lyrics or do you start with the music or is it you know does it work both ways um, and um, same with um, um, writing um, do you start with an idea or do you start with characters all of that sort of stuff and so um, it was an experiment to see um, just to see um, if uh We could get some publicity about the state of the arts in Peterborough. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, one of the other things we wanted to do was bring in... Uh, because at that point, um, there, a lot of artists were working in isolation. A lot mm-hmm. of the groups were working in isolation. And so one of the things I wanted to do for that festival, what we wanted to do, was bring those artists together. <coughs> bring mm-hmm. a lot of the actors together that hadn't worked together before. Mm-hmm. Bring a lot of the companies that hadn't worked together before together so that um, they could inspire each other. You know what I mean? 
And that sort of led to the next precarious festival and the next precarious festival. Hmm. And because the state of the arts has not changed <coughs> for the better, mm-hmm. we're still we're debating on um, number four. <coughs> oh, okay. Yet another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, it really does, it, it really is an in, in, interesting way to, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's so much work to put on a festival. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much work to be the support for all of those artists. Mm-hmm. But it's so much satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's so much satisfying uh, work, and it's satisfying to see what they end up coming up with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to work with new artists that might never have done anything like this before. So I think um, it's opened up a lot of eyes, and some of the works that um, um, were were started in some of the precarious festivals has gone on. Like um, John Hederwick, yep. uh, yeah, he's he's got a he's he's doing a show in January called Enkidu, yeah. and he originally tried it out. Uh, one of the precarious festivals a long time like years mm. ago mm. so it's been on his plate and in his head for a long time and now he's finally getting to, to do it but without that little initial test drive he might have never done it at all so mm. precarious is just you know it's a it's an opportunity for artists to do whatever they want mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. with, with, with and they don't have to worry about the money they can just come in and do whatever they need to do because the precarious festival has got it covered. Mm-hmm. I mean, within reason, obviously. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so kind of um, so Birdie, in a sense, is kind of like a regional kind of sensation, which you don't really see much of anymore. Well, like that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't. He moved to town. I didn't. Again, like I said, I didn't really know him that well. Mm-hmm. But when he moved to town, he influenced an awful lot of people. Um, musicians uh, he, he did a show at the Union and mm-hmm. it was probably one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life mm. and it was just a solo show with him and a cello and some candles it was beautiful mm. um, he also wrote a show that I ended up uh, um, I was a lighting director at the Union when we did it but then mm-hmm. we did it at the other space called Myrmidon mm-hmm. and we did it twice over there um, and it's a beautiful show it's a wonderful show um, and right. he also, you know, worked with Fourth Line for a while mm-hmm. as well. I think for at least one season. Um, but yeah, he came in, and he really, and he was also an older artist. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying like he was 80, but he was an older artist. And a lot of us were still in our 20s, right? Maybe early 30s. And so seeing this guy who can do all of these different things and just does them mm-hmm. was very inspiring to so many of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was just a, a really interesting man. And he died in 1995, I believe. I do believe that's yeah, correct. Yes. Right. Now, just um, one thing about uh, um, your show coming up. Um, yes. One element is uh, Scarborough. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, which I think you've said before you, you left it because it was killing you. I did. Yes, yes. And I, I, and I totally can, un- can understand that. I, I have a brother-in-law, though, who grew up there. 
at least just a bit younger than me, so it would have been the 1980s, and I think he lived in kind of like the southwest area, but uh, he just, he gets quite nostalgic about it, like he loved it, he Some played people, baseball, well, he has the same friends that he had there. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Some people love yeah. Scarborough. Some right. people are, think it's the best place in the world, it's, right. it's just fantastic. Right. But it, it all depends on what your experiences were. That's true. You know, I mean, so, I started in Scarborough um, as a child, like, mm-hmm. um, up until about grade three, mm-hmm. grade five, up until about grade five, and then I moved to Whitby, right? Um, a much smaller place. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, especially then. Yeah, like it was a much smaller place, mm-hmm. and it was very rural. And I was there until grade nine, mm-hmm. and then I moved back to Scarborough in grade ten. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly I'm in this huge population i'm in a school that's like five times the size of my old school mm-hmm. with five times the population that's very multi- like whitby is nothing against it but it wasn't very yeah, multicultural I, yeah no it, it still was <laughs> till fairly recently especially you know, in the 80s experience yes um, yeah and so moving back to scarborough was it's like oh i remember this but at the same time it was a bit of a culture shock mm-hmm. and um again it, it, I had a number of experiences through high school that just kind of um, disappointed me mm-hmm. and made me kind of um, open my eyes a bit to the way things work mm-hmm. and the way things are going to work. And um, so, yeah, I got kind of involved in the punk rock scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, being a punk in Scarborough means you're going to get targeted by every single person that walks by you like honestly like mm. it was really dangerous to be a punk in scarborough in the 80s in the 80s okay it really was um but um and i you know i finished my high school um i tried to go to york university it was a three and a half hour bus ride one way <laughs> yeah and i was like i'm not no i'm not going to do yeah. that for one hour of one day for mm-hmm. one class Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Yeah, there was a bunch of other little tiny factors that helped right. make my mind up. But I got out of York University. I ended up getting a crappy job. And then I got another crappy job. And I realized that if I didn't get out of Scarborough, I was just going to be getting crappy, crappy jobs for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I wasn't going to do any acting. I wasn't going to do any art. I wasn't going to do because in Scarborough there really wasn't anywhere to do art there was the guild the Scarborough yes, the theater say, guild Scarborough guild yeah. yeah and that's not the kind of theater that I personally am interested in yes yeah I have nothing against them but at the same time it's just that's not I don't, if I'm going to do theater I want to do something I mm-hmm. want to do as opposed mm-hmm. to something that's just for the sake of doing it mm-hmm. and so uh, I decided that I you know what do I want to do well maybe I'll become a history professor Mm-hmm. So I came. I applied to Trent, and I came here, and I did a year and a half, and realized being an artist was more important. Okay. Well, I, I had a lot of it's uh, your experiences in high school and being kind of targeted, but is any of it to do with kind of like uh, an urban sprawl kind of ugliness too? Well, there's no Scarborough is not pretty. No, it's not. No, like, it's not. That's there, what I'm kind of saying. There's yes. nothing pretty about Scarborough. No. Most of the houses look the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's strip it's, malls and 7-Elevens, and the strip malls have been there since the 50s, and they look like it. Right. You know? Um, there's no 
there's no art. Mm-hmm. Like when you walk, and, and, and also it's not a walkable. It's not a walkable place. No. And even if you do walk somewhere, it's going to take you a million years, and you're not going to walk by anything that's even vaguely beautiful Mm -hmm. or interesting. There's no public art. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of the buildings have been designed by anybody of any with any beauty in mind. Um, Yeah, it's it was just. I mean, I like the idea of it, like the multiculturalism about it all was mm-hmm. great. It was fan- that was great because mm-hmm. you end up meeting so many different people from so many different places and mm-hmm. understanding more about their view on the world. But um, at the same time, Scarborough was just all I could see was it just becoming more and more suburban and more and more suburban and more and more suburban. Right. And you could just see it. You could just see it sprawling all out. Like when I originally moved in. Like, when I originally lived in Scarborough in the 70s, when I was a child, we moved to Malvern. Mm-hmm. Do you know Malvern? Yeah. Malvern, at that point, was one subdivision in the middle of a farmer's field, mm. surrounded wow. by farmer's fields. Mm. There was no Nielsen Road. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. It was like, when it was foggy out there, it was like deep, deep fog that right. you could not see through. Right. There was like a, a stone farmhouse on the corner of uh, uh, Shepherd and Markham. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like it was, this is before anything. There was mm. nothing up there except farmer's fields. Mm-hmm. Which was, at the, of course, when I'm four or five years old, I don't, it doesn't make any difference to me. But in retrospect, uh, when I came back to Scarborough after it had been in Whitby, I was like, oh, I should go see the old house. Mm-hmm. I couldn't recognize anything. I mean, I knew where the house was. It's right there. There mm-hmm. it is. But that subdivision had turned into like 17 subdivisions. There was a high school. There was a public school. The 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 stone house on the corner was gone. Mm-hmm. Now it was like a, a drive-through bank. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what I came back to? This, oh, my God. Yes. This, was, this, was, this was actually a beautiful landscape. But that's the same thing that happened to Whitby, too. Oh yeah, I was going to say. I think it set a sort of kind of a um, a model that most of Ontario has followed. Sadly, at least the nine hundred five. And uh, oh my yeah, god, yes, yeah. No, like, yeah, Whitby's definitely the same. Yes. Like driving Highway Two, you could you mm-hmm. could get from Scarborough to Whitby in mm-hmm. like half an hour. Yeah, but, on Highway Two because <laughs> there was no traffic and no one mm-hmm. lived there. It was all again orchards and mm-hmm. cornfields and. Yeah, a horse farm. Yeah, no, there's nothing in Pickering back then. So yeah, no, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, it was Pickering Village. Mm-hmm. You know, right. there wasn't like now. It's, it's car dealerships and mm-hmm. everything out the wazoo. It's 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 it terrifies me. Right. Um, but one thing you got from I believe you went to Cedar Break Collegiate. I went to Cedar Break Collegiate yeah. Institute. Yes, and that is kind of where your one of your teachers really got you into drama. Is that, that is it, correct? It, yes, and like I think you said somewhere, like he did tons of shows every year that you just don't really see in high school anymore. Like, well, that's yeah. it. Most high yeah. schools do one show a year. Yeah. Or maybe they may do like a Remembrance Day thing. Mm-hmm. They might do some sort of Christmas concert thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, back in the day, there used to be a thing called the Sears Festival. Mm-hmm. And that was the big thing that ever most high schools were working towards. Right. So they would come in in September, cast the show, and work. All the way through to like February, mm-hmm. working on this show. Mm-hmm. They do the show, 
And if it went on to the semifinals, they do it again. Mm-hmm. If it didn't go on to the semifinals, that was the end. That we're done. Mm-hmm. So they did one big show a year with maybe a recital or two. Mm-hmm. Um, my teacher did six, at least eight productions a year. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And <laughs> which is a ton of work because you're also a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would do three one acts in the fall. And if you were an actor in any of those shows, you couldn't be an actor in the next show. Right. You had to be tech. Right. So that you understood what tech had to go through. Mm -hmm. And tech, if you did tech on those three shows, chances are you had to go on stage whether you wanted to or not. So that you knew what it was like to be on stage dealing with tech. Mm -hmm. So that you knew, oh, right, okay. That's why they all complain about the light being in their eyes because right. the light's in their eyes. Okay, yeah. I get it. Okay, yeah. and um, then we would work on our Sears Festival show, and we've—I mean, while I was there, I think we ended up. I mean, I wasn't there for 13 years, but we ended up. It was when I left. It was the 13th year we had gone to the finals mm. in a row. Oh. Um, because again. You get the, you get three one acts. You get a bunch of actors. You can see who they are. You can see who works well together. Mm-hmm. Plus, you've got the from the year before, all the actors from the year before. You can put them all together, and then at the end of the year, you do another three one acts, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. So yeah, three, six plus a Christmas show that we toured to little public schools, and um, the Sears show. So yeah, we did. You know, by the time I finished, I had done. I don't know, over 40 shows. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas most of the other people coming out of high school might have done five. <laughs> right. And didn't know anything about tech, didn't know anything about sewing or how to build a set, or they knew about <laughs> acting, but they didn't know about anything else, right? Or you knew about tech, but nothing else. Right. So when we came out of this, we actually had a really good understanding of what makes a theater piece happen, what are the moving parts. And how do we all work together to make this happen? Right. So that was really exci- that was that was super exciting to me. And um, I went to York and immediately was disappointed. And came here to Peterborough, got involved in the union, and it was very similar, in the sense that everyone had to do everything mm-hmm. because we didn't have a choice. Right. It's just that not a lot of people had any training. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, I'm not com- I'm not complaining and I- I'm not critiquing, but at the same time, it's like, if you haven't been taught lighting design, your lighting design is probably going to be poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, being able to go in there and just go, I'm a lighting designer, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, everyone's coming to you asking about lighting, and then you can actually talk to them about, okay, this is why I did this, and this is... So mm-hmm. next time they do a show... They can take these things into, you know, so everyone's teaching everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's when it up in my high school, too. Like for my final, my final mark in grade 13, I ended up teaching the grade nines that year. Wow. So yeah. that was really exciting mm-hmm. to be able to teach and, and pass along that information. Because I think that's what's really missing in our society right now is, um, and again, sometimes in the arts, but that, 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 Passing along of the information and knowledge, um, 
there's so many fantastic artists and we have so much information and we've been through so much younger artists don't have to keep reinventing the wheel mm-hmm. you know it's like if you just ask the questions to the right people it'll save you so much time you know and um, I think that's one of the problems with not having enough art funding with not having a, a government that supports the arts is there isn't that that um, connection that that uh, um, exchange that mm-hmm. I think really makes all the difference yeah but uh, yeah. again it was really interesting because he also yeah, um, that, that teacher also encouraged me to um, write plays right wow and so I actually ended up having two or three of my plays produced in the high school before mm-hmm. I left the high school mm-hmm so that when I came here to Peterborough, that's actually how I got involved in the scene. I, there was a playwrights competition, and I submitted one of my plays. Right. Okay. That I had written, and it got chosen as one of the two winners. So. Yes. No. I, yeah. I remember reading about that. Yes. So that's that, that's quite impressive. Like a high school education that gave you like a whole understanding at such a level. Like it doesn't sound like any sort of post secondary training was necessary. And you just were able to come and apply it here, and if anything, it's a bit of a step back, like you're saying. So, well, yeah. that, well, yeah, that yeah. theater was smaller than my drummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, and you, like you're saying, not everybody had a clear understanding, like how to do things. So yeah, no, no, yeah. no. I mean, yeah. things still got done. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, but uh, um, and uh, well, uh, so like I take it also from that. That's where you learned a lot. Of lighting that you're able of uh, your oh skill yes of in lighting. high school we had yeah, to learn yeah. lighting we had yeah. um, I won an award for uh, set design uh, with a uh, one of my uh, 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 other students um, the two of us we were given the job of designing the set for the Sears show and mm-hmm. figuring out the lighting for it go and so we did <laughs> but you know um, he was there to assist and and give uh, advice. And mm-hmm. a lot of the advice that I learned in high school, I still apply today. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it is completely valid advice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, safety first. Yeah. <laughs> Learn your <laughs> lines. That's definitely valid, yes. <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. there's some things that just will never, ever change. Yeah. You know? Um, but at the same time, it's nice to have learned them and mm-hmm. have them drilled into you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also a good learning. It was a, it was a very positive Environment. There was. It wasn't compet. There wasn't. It wasn't competitive. Right. Um, it wasn't everyone competing to be the lead. Right. Okay. It was. It was an ego driven. If you got a lead this show, chances mm-hmm. are you're not going to get another lead for the rest of the year mm-hmm. because there are other people that are just as good as you, mm-hmm. and they need to get leads too. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as you take the comp- competition out of art, everything's possible. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's one of the reasons I don't like the granting system, because it right. becomes a competition. Right. You know? It's like, well, we're all competing for the same little pot of money, and there isn't enough money to go around. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you start to get competitive, especially if it's in the same town, right? What do you mean they got money and I didn't? Mm-hmm. I'm better than they are. Well, are you? <laughs> Did you apply? Well, no. Well, then shut up, you know? Um, there's a lot of... That's the thing that I really like about um, the way I'm trying to run the space is it's not competitive. 
Yeah, no, just I, put stuff on. That's all I care about. Just make some art. Put, be creative. Throw it on the stage. See if it works. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, so what? Mm-hmm. Do another show and make it better. Well, you, you know, you've definitely applied that. I can sort of see, like, uh, you know, you know, obviously this upcoming show, you're the lead, but you know, then there's Kate's and you're directing. Yep. And then you know, Kate was directing what Sarah did recently. What Sarah did, and yeah. I'm directing John Hederwick's piece. Yeah. So that that's kind of shifting of positions. It's not about one person taking. You know. Yeah. No, it should never be one one person's vision is going to ruin a theater. Mm-hmm. I think. Right. Um, because. You know, it becomes very narrow. Mm-hmm. The vision becomes very narrow. Um, and also, uh, from experience, I know that it gets exhausting being the only person running a space mm-hmm. or a theater company. So you actually do need other eyes and other voices to um, really help inspire and, and, and keep things fresh and keep things going. Because mm-hmm. it's easy to get burnt out and run mm-hmm. out of ideas. Right. And... Um, as long as you're surrounded by really good people that you trust, that are creative and that are um, supportive, that you can work with, then mm-hmm. the sky's the limit. Like, mm-hmm. you can do any, anything. Like, some of the stuff we've done here, I never thought would ever see the light of day. Right. And yet, here we are. Now, as you've sort of said, like, it's, uh, art has always been like a kind of precarious thing to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, has the last couple of years, which have been highly precarious, uh, has that sort of taught you anything or you've taken any lessons from that or maybe changed any sort of paths? Um, it was very um, challenging mm-hmm. to be closed for pretty much two years. And when I say closed, yes, the doors were closed. Mm-hmm. There were no audiences. No. We were still working. Yeah. We still had to keep going because mm-hmm. as soon as the space could open... We had to have something ready to go. Yep. Um, and because of the nature of theater, it's not like you can just go, oh, let's throw a show together tomorrow. Mm-hmm. No, you, you just don't do that. That's not the way it works. You have to rehearse for mm-hmm. you know, as long as it takes, and then you put mm-hmm. the show on. Um, and because we, were, we weren't allowed to really even have anybody in the space, mm-hmm. um, so we had um, a couple of small little workshop pieces Mm-hmm. Um, that we worked on just to keep our chops up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was also the first time, <laughs> ironically, the pandemic shut the space down, but it was the first time we've actually had the time to go through the space and do all kinds of renovations. Oh, okay. So we actually inc- we, 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 we actually did a lot of, of new stuff to the space to bring it up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some new pipes to hang um, um, lights off of. We got some um, house lights. Um, we got a new lighting board. Hmm. I mean, we actually had, we got to clean everything up. We built this storage space. Mm-hmm. You know, we actually ha- was like, okay, we've got like months now to figure out how. And we've already been here for two years, so we knew how the space should work. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have enough time to put it all together. Right. So suddenly we had way too much time Mm -hmm. and so that's what we did we put it all back together and we kind of realized that okay we need this storage space instead of just having one we need two instead of having that we need this instead of having that we need that and so yeah it was actually very useful to have that break Mm -hmm. and uh, it was also nice to just not be on every day 
Mm-hmm. Um, um, but at the same time, it was um, very stressful because if there's no money coming in, how do we keep the doors open? Yeah. So that was very stressful about that. Um, oh. But we, you know, we did some bottle drives, and we have our, our monthly donators, and we got some very nice donations from a certain amount of people, which oh, was great, good. which was very nice and very, I mean, it was very touching, which was great. Um, but it also made me again refocus on um, what's the what's the purpose of this space. Well, the space, the purpose is still the same. It's a place where you can afford to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I would rather do fewer shows and support more local artists mm-hmm. than just doing shows for the sake of doing shows. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that's one of the things that our, our focus is much... The focus of the space has changed quite a, 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 a radically in that sense is... Like, for example, this fall, um, we've got, uh, we just did Sarah's show. Mm-hmm. We're doing my show. Mm-hmm. There's Kate's show. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl um, Garbage Face and okay, yep. his partner, Laura Thompson, mm-hmm. they're doing a very specific um, music and projection uh, collaboration right great. before Christmas. Oh, great. Um, John Hederwick is doing his piece. Yep. Um, I've been talking to and there's a bunch of other um, local um, Alicia Rubica wants to do another piece mm-hmm. um, possibly in June or July so it's nice to see that there are local artists that still want to create mm-hmm. and not just cast me in a show right and that's fine I don't mind there's nothing wrong with being cast in a show not everyone is a creator mm-hmm. uh, in that sense um but that's one of the things I'm really trying to focus on more now is um, if I had a choice of doing, like, I don't know, Death of a Salesman <laughs> or a new piece by Justin Million. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go with Justin Million because, yeah. one, he's local and it's it, let's do that. Let's mm-hmm. just, anyone, we can do Death of a Salesman anytime we want. Right. Anytime. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. We could do it next year. We could do it in five years. It's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. But giving a local artist the opportunity to put something on and work with them, because mm-hmm. I have the technical skills that I can apply to their shows. I can mm-hmm. advise things. I can, if they want advice, um, I, I can, I, you know, I can, I can help them create what they want to create. Mm-hmm. Help them achieve their vision. And I think that's more important than just putting show after show after show after show after show up. It's like we need to be nurturing the artists that we have in this community so that they stay and so that they keep getting better. Right. And then they can take that knowledge and apply it to younger artists as they come up. You know what I mean? It's a full circle. Yeah, though that's – I kind of interpret that's kind of the challenge in general for – art scene is like finding new people I mean, a lot of great ones but well especially now with the Netflix and everything it's yeah. very easy to just it's the end of the day boom turn on your TV and you're done yeah. yes. I'm not going to go see live art I'm not going to go see anything I'm mm-hmm. just going to sit here and be comfortable and cozy and fall asleep on the couch and there's nothing wrong with that no no, no there's not a lot of nights but uh, I think though there uh, um 
COVID, I think, made a lot of people really antsy to be out and see things live again. So, and that's yeah. still one of the things we're mm-hmm. dealing with now. Is mm-hmm. um, um, we when we reopened back in when was it September? Yeah, was it September. I guess it was September, August. Mm-hmm. No, it was September. Um, one of the things that we've been we had been doing was keeping the house small, mm-hmm. like half half capacity, um, and fully masked. But the problem was, um, you can't really make any money off of twenty-five people. <laughs> no, <laughs> like nope. that—that that doesn't really pay the rent, and no. it certainly doesn't pay the performers, mm-hmm. and it certainly doesn't pay for the bills. No, um, but it keeps you open, and it kept people, it kept the theater in people's minds. Mm-hmm. And so we've made a decision that now we're going to go up to as. The full capacity, but everyone wears masks all the time except the performers. Mm-hmm. And the performers are all testing every day. Mm-hmm. And if there's any issue, then we cancel. Right. And we actually had pretty much every show in September canceled. Right. Yeah. Because of one thing or another or another or another or another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a number of times it was because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but also it's... Um, tr- um, that idea that people are very wary to go into a small contained space, yeah. Especially after COVID, mm-hmm. they'll go to Walmart, they'll yes. go to Costco, yeah. But going to a small little theater is yeah. like that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, it's no more dangerous than what you're doing anywhere else. And no. if you come here, everyone's masked. Mm-hmm. So it has taken a little while to get people back to the um, idea of going out. But also, now that people know that everyone's masked in the space, the audiences are starting to increase. Mm-hmm. So, like, for Sarah's show, I think we, I think there was only, like, one or two seats empty any, on any given night. It was pretty much full. I was here the opening night, which was, like, a, was a Wednesday or Thursday yeah. night, so not the most ideal night of the week, but it was pretty much full. Yeah, it pretty yep. much And full. it stayed like that all the way through, mm-hmm. Okay, that's which, was, good. which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's something you want, but mm-hmm. that's not something you can guarantee any time. Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea how many people are coming to my show at this point. Right. I might be performing to five people one night. I, I have I a feeling. I, yeah, I have a feeling you're going to do better than that. Yes. Um, now I know I, I interpret you as being somewhat of an admirer of Beckett. I do and, admire Beckett. Yes, you've done a lot of his shows before, yes. and it is one thing you get. Like I can sort of see this definitely in something like Waiting for Godot, like uh, his importance of like pause and silence kind yes. of thing, shifting thing. Is that one sort of element you try to you sort of? Absolutely. Apply to a lot of your shows. Yeah. Well, I think that's really important. I think mm-hmm. the, you know the different. You, you have to get, you have to let the audience have time to mm-hmm. take things in, mm-hmm. and so the pause is always a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the thing about um, um, the thing I learned about Beckett was um, um, you do what the playwright says. Mm-hmm. Um, like if, in a lot of shows, for example. Uh, death of a salesman. Okay. <laughs> Let's just. I'm just going to use that. Yeah. Um, you can change the set. Mm-hmm. You can change the costumes. Mm-hmm. You can change the genders. Mm-hmm. You can do anything you want with that show, and it's still going to be the exact same show, pretty mm-hmm. much. Only your interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. If you change anything in a Beckett show, it suddenly doesn't make any sense at all. Right. If you follow the stage directions the way they're actually written, because usually a director cuts all the stage directions out of a script immediately. Mm-hmm. Because 
that's not this where this was done where that piece was originally done is not where it's being done now mm -hmm. so those stage directions don't apply mm -hmm. actually they do <laughs> especially in Beckett Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, also one of the other authors is Ionesco that I quite yes, know. yes. I, yeah, I heard the two of those guys. I mean, again, they they both came out of the Second World War mm -hmm. and were the 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 the, the impressions and uh, the baggage that they carried is all in the shows that you see mm -hmm. between Godot and uh, all of the other ones. Like Godot was Beckett's first show. Mm -hmm. And all the shows between then and when he passed away got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter mm -hmm. until the last one was like three minutes long mm -hmm. and there was no one on stage. Right. Um, again, but also every show was an experiment. He was pushing himself. He was pushing his language. He was pushing the idea of theater. What is, what actually is theater? Mm -hmm. What is theater? Do we need an audience? Yes. <laughs> You know, do we need actors? Yes. <laughs> and no. Um, but yeah, that idea of language and pausing, and um, it's so um, important. And because a lot of plays, just it's all about getting as many lines out as you can and showing mm -hmm. how intelligent you are as a playwright and how clever you are. Or sometimes as actors, you, you know this is my interpretation of this line and this line and that line. And it's like, well, no, just read the lines. Mm -hmm. Don't act. Stop acting. Mm -hmm. You know? And so that's one of the things I'm, you know, just because you're on stage doesn't mean you're acting. Right. Stop acting. And just start, start feeling what's going on. Interpret, you know, you'll eventually start acting eventually, but start with just read what's there. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things, um, I also um, uh, also a lot of his stuff is not necessarily linear. No, it's not. Yeah, which is very exciting. Um, mm -hmm. So you actually have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that keeps the audience um, and enwrapped because mm -hmm. they want to know what's going on and what's going to happen. And so one of the things I try to apply is is that idea is like just because we're going in this direction doesn't mean we can't suddenly go over here and then come back. Right. Right. You can have one story going and have five or six other off stories going off to the side as long as you keep coming back to the main story you can the audience will ride that ride with you right you know? which is somewhat I of what you're about to which do which is sort of yeah, what, yeah. Sort, yes okay now I know in the past besides just the number of art productions you've done you did, used to do like more like community workshops as well uh, I used to do a bunch of workshops yeah um, but one of the problems about workshops is if it's kind of pointless to put on a workshop if no one comes right okay um, so you know I did um, lighting tech workshops for mm -hmm. example mm -hmm. maybe one or two people would show up mm -hmm. and it's kind of like well I'll teach you mm -hmm. but again were they nothing against the people that showed up but mm -hmm. they weren't going to be lighting techs right they just wanted to learn about lights mm-hmm and that's fine. I'm not going to wait. I mean, it wasn't a waste of my time. Right. But um, one of the problems I find in this town, mm -hmm. um, and it's, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. But um, because it's a small town mm -hmm. and because there's a small pool of uh, actors mm -hmm. and a small pool of tech people, an yes. even smaller pool of tech people, mm -hmm. 
everyone knows that they're going to get cast mm-hmm. in something. Yeah. So why would I take a workshop to get better mm-hmm. if I know that I can just walk into an audition and I know I'm going to get cast? Right. I don't have to get better. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing this to get better. I'm doing this for fun. Right. A lot of a lot of the stuff that happens in town is um, for fun, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's your secondary thing that you do, and it's not your work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a diversion, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. However, it's 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 hard to see the same people do the same thing over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And all they had to do is like take one workshop on movement. Take this small workshop on tap dancing. Are you going to be good at it? No. No one's good at it. Mm-hmm. But it would it just changes the way you think about your body. Or mm-hmm. take this acting workshop or take this writing workshop or take a lot of people just don't like the workshops because well, why should I? Yeah. I? I'm already good. I got the lead the last three times I won't <laughs> you know. You know, or I don't need to be I'm good enough. I'm this is this is as good as I want to get. And that's fine, but it just it's it's a kind of disappointing for the people that people like me mm-hmm. who have made a career of being an artist and all uh, and, a, and a bunch of others in this town that are working really hard to be artists and have worked and worked and worked and honed our skills and taken workshops mm-hmm. and we've put on shows that have failed and it's just, yeah. It's it's it also it's it makes me a little worried for the future because where are the new twenty year olds that want to do their own shows? Well, yeah, I know where they are, but yeah, they're not in theater, unfortunately. That's they're, it. They're yeah, they're doing some sort of thirty uh, second thing on TikTok or whatever. And yes. that's the other problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can become super famous in five seconds. Yeah, yeah. Why would I want to go on stage and rehearse for three months? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And I get every take. I can retake this mm-hmm. video over and over and over until I get it perfect. Right. On stage, you get one shot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're not going to get famous. And you're not going to make any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the arts. Yeah. So that, that, that's yeah. That's the uh, that's the challenge, definitely. Um, now, uh, so I got to say. Um, so uh, I think for your show, you've tried to make like invites to like high schools and that to come out to it. And have you gotten any response that way? No, okay. no. It's very it's very hard to get schools to tr- transport their kids to another venue. Okay, because of uh, permission slips and because, now because of the COVID oh, and right, yeah. yada yada yada. And a lot of the schools just do their own Remembrance Day ceremonies. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll have the the, the drama club come in and do some sort of dramatic reading and maybe mm-hmm. some um, some d- interpretive dance which is great I think mm-hmm. that's that's fantastic and it's nice to see the kids do that sort of thing right um, and I mean I have taken it to Adam Scott and I've taken it to a couple of other schools in the past so. oh that's good yeah. so I'm not that's that's fine I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. so worried about that um, I mean it's unfortunate that um, uh, more high school students don't go see live theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing I can do about that. No. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, that was... When I was in high school, we actually... We couldn't pass our course unless we went and saw a professional piece of theater somewhere else 
outside of our school. So we'd have to go downtown to the Royal Alex mm-hmm. or to the Tarragon or, you know, one of those places and mm-hmm. see something and then write a report on it and attach the program. Right. And then, see, I actually went and saw some theater. Mm-hmm. And some of the theater was really interesting, you know, and it gets you out of Scarborough. It gets you mm-hmm. into a new theater. Mm-hmm. You get to see, oh, this is how this theater works. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. You know, if you just keep going to the same place over and over and over and over and over, you tend to, I don't know. Yeah. The challenge is gone, you know? Yeah. The, you, you, the inspiration is kind of gone. There's, I mean, that's, I wish I could go see more things, but I'm always here. Yeah. I mean, I try to see what I can, but at the same time, if, you know, I'm here all the time, so. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the reasons I make this space changeable. Yeah, no, I've heard you say something about like how, um, like, yes, it's it's limited in space, but you can you always, at least in the past, you've thought of like changing where the seats are. Yep. And I know the ones this season so far have been kind of like mainly, you know, one person kind of productions. But you've thought of like making things that are like to a certain degree, like bigger shows, more of a cast, and yep. changing that and saying the challenge of doing that in this limited space and things exactly. like that. Exactly. Like the yeah. audience, like, you can, again, you can, mm-hmm. if the sky's the limit, if you can think about it, then we can probably make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done, um, because we don't have a proscenium, we can do shows in the round, we can do shows one way, we can do it two ways, we can have audience on three sides, we can mm-hmm. raise the performers and have the seats on the ground. We can have the performers on the ground and have the seats all raised. So, yeah. And, you know, we can flip the entire space around. We did a show here, mm-hmm. and the audience was looking this way. Hmm. I mean, it's a lot of work to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to just disassemble yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, disassemble, take a few glasses away. Yeah, but but yeah. Um, at the same time, mm-hmm. it was totally worth it and mm-hmm. super fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. And everyone that is here is willing to do the work as long as you're showing up to do the work as well, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's ultimately, I mean, we are all, all in this together to a certain extent, or at least I, I tend to hope to think that we're all in this together. And, mm-hmm. um, let's make it easier for each other and let's just, you know, get some make some art and be creative and well, Give I, the world some hope, for God's sake. Jesus. Yes, yeah, no, we definitely all need that, yes, because it's definitely dark and dreary these days. Yes. Um, so, so I guess the last thing, just a more of a, again, a historian's cap kind of thing, but mm-hmm. also definitely related to your show. Um, is there something you think, like, of how, like you said, Remembrance Day, you saw it done the same way every year, and I've seen it done the same mm-hmm. in my past. You know, it, it, to be honest, is no matter how great the intentions are, it be, it easily becomes a bit stale. So, it, what do you think? Like people should be taking away from Remembrance Day itself, and, and like, oh, like it, just just Remembrance Day, yeah, itself? Remembrance Day or former Armistice. Well, I, ultimately, I think you know, um, um, people should be um, actually remembering why they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Remembrance Day for a reason. It's not called, like, attend the public meeting day mm-hmm. because you have to. Or it's not called, oh, let's watch the old veterans walk down the street day. Mm-hmm. It's actually Remembrance Day for a reason so that we can actually remember what happened 
all those years ago and to so many like in the first world war like i said 37 million people were either killed or wounded mm-hmm. that's an that's more than an entire generation of people like that changed the basic foundation and nature of society everywhere in the world mm-hmm. suddenly there was a lack of men from the ages of 17 to 40 Mm-hmm. So every family, every street was 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 um, affected by this. Um, even in Peterborough, I can I can I you know I've written a few shows about the war in Peterborough, and mm-hmm. I can walk past some of these houses and go, "That's where some guy lived, and that's where some guy lived, mm-hmm. and a bunch of people lived at the Montreal house mm-hmm. because yeah. it used to be a, an inn." Yes, and, it did. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing that's most important is just to remember that. These people fought against tyranny. They fought against a whole bunch of awful things so that mm-hmm. we can enjoy our TikTok videos. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to tell them that that's what they were fighting for, they probably wouldn't have fought. No. But at the same time, <laughs> these are the things that we need to remember. It's like, yes, these things happened, but they happened for a reason, and we are still benefiting from those things. Mm-hmm. And the people that were there you gotta respect them mm-hmm. like whether they were volunteers or whether they were conscripts or not the fact that they got through the war they're still alive and they didn't lose their shit mm-hmm. that's so important and yeah. in order to remember we need to talk and talking to vets because some of them don't tell their stories mm-hmm. unless they're asked and so having that opportunity or I mean I actually got a chance to talk to two vets one from Havelock who was in the First World War and one who was on Homewood Mm -hmm. and he was in a nursing home up here Mm -hmm. Um, I think he was 101 when I interviewed him Mm. Um, but they were thrilled that someone actually cared enough to ask Yeah, enough time had passed that they could actually they had no reason to not say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, most of their families didn't want to hear what they had to say. Mm-hmm. And I got such a much more intricate, um, um, intimate knowledge of what it was like to be there mm-hmm. um, by talking to someone who actually was there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's what Remembrance Day should be about. It should be about rem- actually remembering what... We, how we got to where we were, mm-hmm. and appreciating all the work it took for all of those people, and unfortunately, a lot of it's being dismantled right now. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, I think you know, um, while we have the opportunity to talk to vets that were in the wars, um, even the Korean War, even the Vietnam War, what have you. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like first-hand knowledge, and that knowledge has to be kept alive. Otherwise, we'll forget. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Looking, looking forward to your show. Oh, I just you. think uh, I think I think my wife and I will be able to make time for it. Uh, Excellent. Uh, upcoming. So, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks very much for taking your time today. I know you're. Really busy, like I said. All good, yeah. man. Yeah. Thank you for okay. coming and asking. Yeah. 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 Yeah.